Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Today we meet Jan McGrath. Back in 1997, Jan was offered what she thought was a two-year opportunity to move with HSBC to Hong Kong to manage the world's first public launch of chip-based payment cards with electronic cash. That two years very quickly became 18, with Jan creating a life and career in Hong Kong, the UK and the US. Along the way, she collected an American husband and earned an international reputation as a senior leader of global strategic business transformation and change in financial services. She came home in 2015 because she felt it was time for her to reconnect with her family, friends, and to be part of Australia again. Coming home professionally, though, was not without its challenges, particularly in trying to translate her global experience to a smaller market. I am really looking forward to hearing what Jan did to find both her place professionally and her new tribe back in Australia. So welcome, Jan. Where are we having this conversation with you today? Um, I'm at home, like all Melbourneers, um, uh, in lockdown <laughs> and have been since I arrived. I moved from Sydney in July, uh, arrived July 17, and we've been in lockdown in our new house in Melbourne in Bentley in, uh, since then. Right. You've picked a good moment to come to Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Odd. <laughs> now, you, um, you are originally from Melbourne, so in many ways you've kind of done the full loop. And, uh, you know, if we think back 23 years ago, this is where you left to go to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, before we do dive into your overseas story, can you paint us a picture of what, of what life looked like pre-Hong Kong? Oh, sure. Um, I worked, had been working in ANZ Bank from early in my career. So that was, I actually decided to take a year off going to university and just go straight to work at ANZ Bank and I Mm -hmm. left 17 years later. So um, needless to say, I missed going to university and and had a career in the bank. Yep. Um, And in the bank, I had an opportunity to work in the credit card division. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I worked there for many years. And then I was taken over to retail banking to be the head of product development. Um, On the path to that role, I had the opportunity to work with um, Boston Consulting Group. There was three of them and three of us ANZ staff put together to head up a project where we closed down our credit card divisions all around Australia and centralised them to Mm. one point in, in Melbourne. So the smaller state took on all the other states. And so doing that work actually led me to doing a master's degree in org development and change management because of the impact that it had on my life and my understanding of what was happening to people inside of the organisation. So ANZ um, supported me through my master's degree. So where did the, I guess, the opportunity come from for you to go overseas? I mean, was it sort of something that you'd always wanted to do or was it something that you were approached for and it was out of the blue? How did that happen? Absolutely would never have any idea that a little girl from Reservoir, uh, from the northern suburbs, would have ended up going overseas to work. I, never mm-hmm. in the realm of possibilities where 
grew up in a working class family and am a working class Love kid it. regardless of, of any experience overseas, never seem to have lost that. Um, but the opportunity came, I was finishing my master's degree and I wrote a paper on uh, team building, which I was invited to a, a conference in Texas, in Dallas, uh, by Austin University to talk about what my paper had actually in it. They were interested in my observations. And so uh, myself and another friend from uni um, doing our master's, when I say uni, we were adults um, doing our class. We were in our 30s. Uh, we both headed over to America to go to Dallas and I decided that if I was going that far, I'd keep going and go and see friends in England and then come home via Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Having come home via Hong Kong, uh, Eric Tai was uh, previously the uh, my manager at um, ANZ as head of retail banking. He was now the head of retail banking for Asia Pacific for HSBC. And I stayed with him and his wife in Hong Kong. They lived up on the peak in one of the bank's apartments. And uh, so I went and stayed with them and he said, he looked at me and said, I can't believe this is such perfect timing. We're about to launch this product, it's chip technology. I'm like, what the hell is that? And he said, um, I can't think of anybody better to understand it because right now we're having a bit of trouble mm-hmm. understanding the impact of it and you're perfect. Can you come back and work for me in HSBC? So I said, let me think about that for a minute. Uh, yep, I'll be packed. I'll just go home and pack up. Fantastic. And uh, at the time I had a partner at home in Australia who I'd been living with. I just informed him I was moving to Hong Kong. I really hadn't given any thought to what he might want to do um, and headed to Hong Kong. So the rest is history. I honestly thought, of, you know, that was it. I was going to Hong yeah. Kong for a okay. couple of years. So that was good. So you thought you were going for a couple of years. You really obviously didn't think it was going to be 18. No, no no insight to that piece at all. Um, no. Naively, um, like a ch- true Aussie, I think we underestimate the value of ourselves because we're so isolated. Um, yep. We have good knowledge here, but we don't realise what that looks like uh, to the rest mm. of the world. And as it turned out, I actually was the only product project manager in the world who'd actually implemented this technology publicly and I ran the retail marketing team as well. So I was running the business side as well as running a project team of 127 people in HSBC Mm. and Hang Seng. And um, and you just did it in your stride, you know, this is my job, okay. Um, What happened is the Japanese banks used to come over to visit because they were interested in the technology. They'd come to Hong Kong to play golf primarily but also see me about... um, what I was doing, and they asked MasterCard to hire me as their implementation manager and said to MasterCard, we'll only do this if she's our implementation manager. So at the end of my two-year contract in HSBC, that was the offer from MasterCard to come and join them. And so you went on to the UK for that? Yes, yes. So to be head of implementation, I needed to go to London with um, mm-hmm. MasterCard. I think I thought I was going to go to Singapore, um, but then the London guys came down and said, no, we need you in Europe because you'll do implementations all over the world and you'll manage the team that does implementations all over the world because of my right. practical experience. That's what they wanted me for. So I had a team of implementation managers who implemented chip technology across the world um, for MasterCard. And um, 
and that based me in London. Mm-hmm. Did I care about going to London? No, not really. I was on a roll. I was already in Hong Kong and was yeah. actually sick of Hong Kong. I was actually, Hong Kong was making me sick a lot of the time. Yep. So I needed to move out because of the dampness and stuff and thought, oh, L- London sounds great. Did, a little, did I realise how damp it was? I um, say. And so, <laughs> so I went to London. I hadn't ever really travelled to London but once before and, and it was on a holiday so it was different feeling yeah um so um moved to london and worked in norway japan mexico venezuela and chile on the go yeah so you you were based in those places i was based in london and traveled to all those places from london yeah fantastic and then the u.s came on the radar yeah so uh uh, yeah, a little fly in the ointment was um, I was single in <laughs> Hong Kong. Needless to say, my partner was not happy about me leaving Australia without him, so I was single. And that, that turned out to be the right thing to do because uh, Hong Kong, if anybody's lived there, knows that the expat world's a little surreal there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the days when they paid for everything as well. So um, you live this surreal life in Hong Kong. So being yeah. single was the yeah. best way to be. But inconveniently, I met my husband, uh, who's now been my <laughs> husband for 20 years, in uh, in Hong Kong, who turned out to be American. So um, I didn't plan that at all. And then both of us ended up in London at the same time. So the relationship continued on. And now it's my husband. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And so you returned to his home country, in essence, mm-hmm. and it was because of him that you went to the US. You didn't. You didn't actually move there for an opportunity at the time. Well, that's a tough one to say because he might kill <laughs> <do> me. Um, <laughs> when my contract was finishing in London, I could have stayed in London. That was the truth. And um, mm-hmm. but I travelled a lot to Mexico and South America to Venezuela and Chile. And um, and so Larry said at the time to me in London, he also works in the payments industry, I need to go home to, I'm not going home to America, I'm going to Brazil next. Now, we weren't engaged or married or anything. It's a hard word to mm-hmm. use, engaged when you're our age. But we weren't committed to each other and he said, I'm going to Brazil for work. And I went, yeah, Brazil works all right for me because I've got to travel to South America anyway, that's closer. Mm-hmm. And he went over to uh, Brazil, to Sao Paulo, and came back and said, I don't like it. Um, I don't want to live there. I'm going to send a project manager. We're going to go, I'm going to go to the States. And the only way I know to take you to America is if you'll marry me. <laughs> so that was about as romantic as the um, proposal was. It's the only way I know to take you there is as my wife. So will you marry me? And um Lovely. So I was like, yeah. oh, okay, that's convenient. Yep, yeah, let's do that. So we got married on that basis. Yeah. And then, of course, for me it was, uh, yes, it's his, he needed to go home. He had children living in America and he needed to get back to them. And so where was home in America for, for him and for you? Home for him is uh, Arizona. So we lived in Arizona for 13 years and then we did a couple of years in Missouri with me for MasterCard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've lived most of the time in Arizona and two years in Missouri, which are fairly forgettable because Missouri's a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. So when you went to the US, though, you weren't allowed to work, were you? Or you would you no, initially? Yeah, so oh, initially what happened was uh, MasterCard said to me in London, 
we don't want you to go. So they weren't offering to transferring to transfer me to America. And so I said, that's fine, I'll get a, a visa under my own steam. Mm-hmm. Six months later, I was still in uh, London and Larry had been mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working in Mexico and travelling backwards and forwards and on weekends going into America to see Larry, but all the time telling the immigration guys none of that because they would never have let me in. <laughs> um, and, so, um, and so what ended up happening was uh, I was sitting at my desk crying one day because I was just over going to immigration department in uh, to US immigration in uh, London and getting nowhere. And so um, MasterCard guys just said, Jan, mm-hmm. we'll do your visa. And three days I was in America. So once they did the visa, I just went with them to America. Yeah, fantastic. And, um, yeah. and I went straight to their offices, of course, in New York, as everyone would know. Um, but I ended up just working from home in, New, Ze- in uh, New Zealand, in Arizona, because I travelled so much for work. It didn't matter where I was. So we just went to Arizona. Yeah. So, I mean, you had what, 15 years in the States? I mean, it's very much became home. What was life like for you as well? I mean, we, you know, it's not just professional yeah. heads that we move overseas, it's our whole lives. What did that What did that constitute for you? Yeah, um, America's easy to live in. When I look at all the countries I've worked and lived in, you, f- you think you know them because you see them on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think you know how life in America works. So I think... I was quite a bit like London, yeah, a bit relaxed about, yeah, I'll fit in here, it's okay. Um, when you start to live there, you realise that pff, I don't get my jokes. Um, mm-hmm. And all they ever yap about is how they love my accent, which I actually <laughs> never managed to lose. And so you begin to realise that, yeah, I'm different, I'm not quite the same as them because that conversation never not happens. It doesn't matter whenever I speak in America, ha, hey, you're from Australia. So, oh, yeah, and by 15 years later I'm sick of talking about, yes, I'm from Australia. Woo-hoo. Can you listen mm-hmm. to what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so in life was different. I also, you know, married Larry, had two American stepchildren, didn't see that in the contract, um, and Two American teenagers, a little different to bringing up Australian <laughs> teenagers. Um, and if the kids were here, they're in their 30s now, they would say, okay. thank God we had her because they went off the rails and yeah. Australian mums are much more decisive about, oh, well, you stuff up, you'll suffer the consequence. You do whatever you want. I'm telling you what's right and wrong. You choose. When you do something wrong, there'll be a consequence. So, mm. so they had a different upbringing having an Australian mum. Uh, up against their American mum as well. So, um, mm. But they lived with us for five years. So I had American teenagers to bring up as well. So life was completely different. I'd say very, I was going to say life could not have been more different to when you thought getting on the plane flying to Hong Kong. Yes. So I want to um, switch it up a bit and sort of start to look at, you know, 2015, you arrived back in Australia. What what prompted the return after such a long time away? And, and why Sydney, not Melbourne, initially? I was thinking about this before coming on. The decision for me was being made around I didn't like the way America was going. I was not happy about their politics. And I don't consider myself a very political person, but it's an important mm-hmm. part of my life, so I pay attention to it and, and I have the right to vote because I'm an American citizen. And um, and I was living in Missouri 
So we're talking very conservative, um, very Republican. And, um, and so I was noticing my values weren't really aligned with them mm-hmm. anymore and what they were saying about Obama and what was happening and what I was hearing because I was in a deep red state. It was like, oh, I, oh, I thought these people are okay. Sometimes they're not really. So I was beginning to feel I was a little out of alignment with them. And mm-hmm. in every other, in, in Arizona, I was president of the Australian Chamber of Commerce, Australian New Zealand Chamber of Commerce for many years. So I had a lot of Aussies around me and Kiwis. So that gives you this mm-hmm. false sense of security that there are other Aussies and I'm okay here, which is what I realised when I got to Missouri and I didn't have any. And um but as, as true Australians do, we find each other. And uh, so I did find some friends in Missouri, but I had felt I had lost my network. Mm. I mentioned it to Larry that perhaps I could go home to Australia with my work with MasterCard because I had done a very big job in MasterCard. I'd headed up um, go-to-market strategy for chip technology in that market, the last market in the world, 15 years behind the rest of the world in implementing chip technology, Mm -hmm. the biggest elephant you've ever seen to try and move. Um, And so I had a great time. I loved the work I did there. It Mm. pushed every button for me intellectually and professionally. And and so we got them through. We got them onto chip technology. And MasterCard just said to me, you can choose your next job, Jan. Where do you want to go? Because I was a true global staff member. Um, so I said, <laughs> I think I'll go home. And they all went, mm, mm. really? Australia? Yeah. And, um, and I said, yeah, but it's home. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> it took a year for them to find a job. <laughs> Uh, adequate enough for me, as they would put it, um, but it was still a level below what I already was in America. But I accepted that I would probably have to drop down because mm-hmm. if I wanted to stay the same level, I needed to go to Singapore and I didn't want to. So I said, I'll go to Australia and take a step down. And so um, the first job that came up was a transformation um, in a an acquisition of their called Pinpoint. It was a loyalty and reward company that they bought and uh, I knew Pinpoint from a past life, and so I thought, hmm, that sounds good, and it's Sydney-based because uh, MasterCard's office is in Sydney. They've got a small office here in Melbourne, but mostly Sydney. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was on the map of Australia. I'm cool with that. Let's go there. So that's where we went. Mm-hmm. And I said to Larry, um, I've been offered a role in Australia. I think he was packed in a minute. Uh, Flip-flop, right. <laughs> ready to go. Uh, he's been waiting for years, been waiting for years for me to say I'll go. Right. Um, FPOS Australia had been courting him for about five years before we even got there, so he had a job to walk into as well. Fantastic. So you both arrive um, back in Sydney with jobs, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a straight path for you, was it, mm-hmm. you know, sort of landing back, even though you were with the same company? Talk us through what happened there or how that unfolded. Yeah, you think, I think I'm lucky because I came home with my company. Um, if I had to fall into trying to find a job, I probably would have killed myself, I think. Um, so I was lucky that I came home with a job, I thought, <laughs> Um but then quickly realised mm-hmm. how small Australia was. It was like, boy, and how narrow their thinking was. So you'd come from, I'd come from MasterCard head office, to a terrific company to work for. The culture of the company is fantastic in America. It just didn't exist here in Australia. It was just like working 
walking into a different company completely. Mm. And then being in an acquisition of theirs, uh, no one in the MasterCard team, head office, in Australia knew me because I was in this other building in another part of the organisation and none of them were terribly interested in this acquisition because they didn't do it. It was done in America. And so um, I was even more isolated Mm. uh, when I came home to work than I could ever anticipate it. I was in what I thought was my own company um, and I knew everybody. And in America, you could walk into any senior manager's office, didn't matter how senior they were. Ajay was the hardest one to see, of course, because he's the boss. But anybody else, just doors open. Hey, how you going? What do you want to know? No no problem. Here in Australia, the hierarchy Mm. was unbelievable um, it, it just just shocked the hell out of me to be honest so um, I was taken aback and then um, anything I had to contribute mm-hmm. didn't want to hear from me because you were the yank who'd come back to Australia it's like I'm not American I'm actually Australian right, right. in their eyes I was somebody from the other side so yeah as a head of transformation manager ahead of transformation what's your job to transform the organization so I quickly folded as much as I could into the MasterCard office because this company needed to be um, deconstructed and merged into MasterCard from a people the technology was already way mm. the people needed to happen as mm. well so I remapped um, where some of the teams should go and started pushing them across to MasterCard and my team was one of the teams that was brilliantly aligned to go into MasterCard. I made sure of that. So got them all jobs. And um, now I'll get myself, I'll probably get myself a job out of this. I think I naively thought MasterCard would adopt me into the bigger MasterCard office, but did myself out of a job in the end. Mm. And so then you find yourself back on the market. Yeah. So then I think, oh, you know, it's probably time to leave. I'm not really happy with MasterCard here. So, yes, I'll leave and try and look for a job. I didn't even know where to start. Um, I had no network anymore. So if I have any advice for any of us, it's keep your network alive and well. In Australia, when you leave to go overseas, do not forget it um, and keep a track of where people go. Uh, most people, because of my age, a lot of people had mm-hmm. retired or were at the end of their career thinking about retirement. So my network was not in any influential roles anymore Um, and my choices were limited on where to go. The market market in America is so much bigger for cards because it's broken up into so many different divisions. Here the banks kind of run everything. So I thought, oh, well, off we go, wander into a bank and see if I can get a job and absolutely disheartened by every interview. No one no one, I mean no one who interviewed me could even get to the pieces about how I'd worked overseas. So they were looking at the, my job description, uh, my CV where on the third or fourth page it says ANZ. Oh, and they'd say to me, oh, so talk to me about your career in ANZ. And I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what role I was doing anyway today. <laughs> how would it be relevant because the structure of banking has changed completely. So just totally disheartened. 
didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's a very difficult thing to reconcile, isn't it? That 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 experience is not seen or heard or understood. And and I guess for many who come back, they arrive at a juncture or at a moment in time where they think, I'm gonna have to reshape my career. I can't actually yeah. keep going with it in the same way. And in some ways that's really what you've done, um, is you've reshaped it in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I had to pivot back off transformation and change management. Uh, what that means here in Australia is completely different to what mm-hmm. I had been used to working with overseas. Um, mm. And so I pivoted away from that and back to what I know well. Hey, credit card payments, end of the day. I'm an expert in that field. I just don't mm-hmm. want to say it because it doesn't sound very interesting. And um, and so I thought, okay, well, let's just start looking at that. But to be honest, I thought I need new scope, like I'm not going to banks. I want to go to some of these innovative organisations that are around, the vault banks, all those sorts of guys, the Zingers, all them. Oh, I'm loving this fintech thing. This sounds interesting because I've never been a good banker anyway. I was always a square peg in a round hole. And um, so I started to, I got told to go and mentor at um, Stone and Chalk Mm -hmm. because that's, people were saying they need your knowledge. Like Mm -hmm. there'll be people who are thinking they want to go overseas. You can tell them not to, (laughs) you know, like go and do that. So I enrolled at um, Stone and Chalk to be a mentor and was accepted straight away and they rushed me in because they could see my background was going to be useful to their fintechs. And um, and so I worked with them because that kept my mind going and allowed me to look at what's happening here, like what position are you guys taking against what the traditional positions are. So it was a learning. For me it was about learning. If I'm not learning, I have a bit of trouble anyway. I, I can't. Not good at not learning and not being challenged. So I um, stone and chalked for. I still do it today. I'm still a mentor down here in Melbourne. So um, that introduced me to a whole network of new people, and that's how my job was found that I have now. Yeah, fantastic. And it is um, again something that I do hear quite a bit of that you know the large scale um, experiences and knowledge are really valued in that early um, entrepreneurial journey that so many organisations are on in that fintech world or in the technology space. So it is about thinking, okay, it doesn't have to be that like-for-like transition. And, in fact, like-for-like is actually the hardest thing. Yeah, it is. It's it's very narrow. I mean, I I joined your group for having come home to Australia and now didn't quite fit in here either, funny enough. Um, and so, like when you're overseas, as I ran the Australian Chamber of Commerce, I sought out other people with the same background, and that's why people are in in sync. Everyone I know is in in sync because mm. we all have this shared experience of working overseas. And whilst they aren't the same, at least we get the feeling or the emotion behind it when people talk about. It what it's been like and um, and so that was important to me and then going to Stone and Chalk and being accepted for you've got a whole bunch of knowledge we need come which you weren't getting from MasterCard right and um, I think they were missing a huge opportunity at MasterCard but they don't seem to mind that um, so when I left yeah. MasterCard or when I took redundancy at MasterCard. My bosses from America were furious. They rang, MasterCard, you must be crazy. Like we've had this woman train all over the world and you're letting her walk out the door. So they were suggesting I come back, um, but I knew at that point that I don't want to go back to America. 
I'm not entirely settled here, but I'm not. That seemed Mm. to me to go backwards, and so I'm not going back back there either. So. And I guess that's, uh, you know, a, an important piece around being anchored to the motivations as to why you come home in the first place. And, yes, career was important to you, but there was another driver, which was lifestyle and family and friends and connections. And, For sure. Yeah. yeah. You came home with an international partner and whilst Larry had been here many a time on holidays, I think, you know, settling in and living here, you know, you're forced to see Australia through a fresh lens. Larry's adapted well. Um, What I will say about Larry and other American friends that I look at who are my closest friends in America, they're all Americans who've worked overseas, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. majority. So they have a different lens on their life in America when they've lived outside of America. So I think they sh- we share something in common in that we're all expats or repats. In his case, he's an expat right now. Um, Larry adapted to a sh- like a duck to water to Australia. He just loves the lifestyle here. Um, the hardest part for him mm. is missing his family, like missing the kids, but the kids come once a year, like one of them will come each year. Yeah. So we get to see them. We go home to America when we can. That's not going to happen for a while, but that wouldn't matter where we all are at the moment. That's just life at the moment. We... We are still tied to America because of them yeah. and always will be, um, but uh, Larry thinks he's never going back to America. He doesn't. We don't have a plan for going back to America. So Melbourne, Melbourne is it for now, so, um, yeah. So as you said, I've come full circle. Um, I came home because even the shift from Sydney to Melbourne, whilst I've been working for a Melbourne-based company, it didn't matter um, that I was in Sydney because uh, they had an office in Sydney as well. But, um, as, you know, just as it was turning out and COVID was coming along, I was like, you know, we've got to move out of that house in Sydney because Vanessa went back to Queensland, my niece that was living with us. So it's like, okay, we're going to move and I'm only moving one more time, really, honestly. This is <laughs> not, I know that, but, you know, let me pretend for a little while. Um, but can we go to Melbourne? And Larry said, it's a bit cold down there. That was his first reaction. And I said, but all the family and friends, and he goes, oh, yeah, 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 let's do that. That's how it came to me. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. Well, we're delighted that you're here. Yeah. And so, I mean, look, it is an incredible year this year. Um, it, it's thrown up a whole sort of raft of challenges and, and new things emerging. And one of the um, the things that have recently discussion at the moment is that there are about 400,000 expats who are either returning or on their way home. A huge proportion of those are sitting in the US. I guess what advice would you give to those who are embarking upon the return or who are considering that move back? Come with an open mind if it's possible. I know everybody thinks they've got an open mind, but I mean mm-hmm. you have to come home with an open mind. It's You can't go back to where you left. And the reason why you are no longer you, whether you want to face that or not. Um, I remember somebody saying to me when I was leaving to live in Hong Kong, see that little white fence out the front? When that when you come back, that won't be the same. And I thought, that's very bloody deep. Mm. What do you mean by that? Um, and now I understand that, mm. that you don't come back as you, regardless of what your family and friends really desire for you to be because you nine times out of ten pick up the conversation you were having with them 15 years ago because nothing's changed and um, but you are not you 
And so you have to come home with the fact that and realise that I'm not me. And so therefore I can't fit back into that little slot that I left before. Mm. And um, have no boundaries around what your expectations are. <laughs> Everything you think yeah. is going to take 10 minutes, going to take 10 weeks. So just allow for time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I think, um, you know, you often hear people saying you really need to change, sorry, you need to really treat the move home as another assignment that you're moving to. You know, you do the research, you do the preparation, you step into it fully aware that you don't know everything, that you need to learn it en route. And, you know, our hometowns or our home countries have also changed and moved while we've been away. Yeah. So we need to step back into that, you know, that new that new world or that new reality. Yeah, and the, the insults that I think people think they get is you're having to prove you're Australian again. And it's, it's not having to prove, they're just asking you for the documentation they'd ask for anybody to produce, blah, blah, blah. So people feel like I'm home and I'm Australian, so you should know I've just come home. Well, no one knows that from looking at you, right? No. And, um, and so I think you've just got to be, like you say, treat it like another assignment. I'm a stranger in my own country, so now let me just. Way back, yeah, in. yeah, fabulous. Now, we finish all our podcasts with five rapid fire questions, so we'd love to put those to you uh, now. Yeah, um, and it's literally a word or a phrase that comes to mind when we when we ask the question. So, number one, living overseas taught me blank about myself tolerance, tolerance that I need to be more, that I need to be more tolerant. That's what I learned. Mm-hmm. The number one skill that you use today from my from your life overseas is to listen and inquire and uh, and I, that's a really important one for me um, because when I first moved overseas I needed to know, needed to check what people meant by what they were saying rather than me assuming I understood what they were saying and coming home has been no different. Listen mm-hmm. and inquire if you're not quite sure what they mean. Mm, great. When I want to feel like I'm back in my adopted country, a dish I eat is? Chicken parma with a pot of beer. Done. Ah, (laughs) fantastic. Uh, The best part about being home is? Uh, The feeling of belonging. Yeah, okay, nice. How long did it take to have that feeling? Did you feel like you had it straight away? Yeah, as soon as your feet touched the ground, there's something about, ha, ha. I belong. It's like if there was little magnets, your shoes would have stuck to the ground here where they haven't stuck somewhere else. So I always think of it, yeah, just the feeling yeah. of I actually belong. I don't have to explain to anybody where I come from or, or what I'm here for. Fabulous. Uh, finally, um, a word, song or quote that best describes your time overseas. I was talking about this to Larry this morning. Uh, Highway to Hell is probably what I would have said at the beginning for a song. Um, but then I actually reflected on that a little more and I think the song that sits for me is um, Let Your Soul Be Your Pilot by Sting oh, because at the end of the day, you will be asked um, of yourself to question what you're doing, why you're doing it, is it the right thing to do? You'll have the family saying, I need you home, we need you here, we need this. At the end of the day, you've got to sit in yourself and be happy 
with where you are. And and it's like, so let your soul be your pilot, really. Um, oh, that's beautiful. If you're not sure, go deep and yeah. ask. Good. I used to have, you know, family came to live with me when I was in England, all the kids coming on their two-year excursion. Yeah, here to party for two years and two weeks into it being tears in my living room because they miss their mum yeah. and me always saying, I need you to sit and think. Mm. If I go home, what's there? If I stay, what's here? And actually there's no price for staying, so you sit with that and mm-hmm. make the decision. Mm-hmm. And everybody stayed three or four years, so they all had a ball. Oh, yeah. oh, that's a lovely note to finish on, Jan. It's um, really, really beautiful. Thank you for your time. You're um, more than welcome. Love it and love the work of InSync. So it's, love meeting everybody through it. It's really good. Oh, thank you. It's given me another network at home in Australia, which I love. Oh, beautiful. That's what we aim to do. Thank you. Okay. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com, where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.